our team that went over to South Sudan last week, uh, uh, Jamie, uh, Johnny Cash Nash, and uh, Brian T. Meyer, uh, they are on the ground. They're making their way home from uh, D.C. They got there, at, they landed in D.C. at 9 o'clock, and uh, they sent that report uh, to us. Our, uh, Kurt Breland was our missions pastor here at First Norfolk. Uh, and uh, he went on to be with Jesus last uh, year. And uh, we, uh, as a church, uh, determined that one way that we can honor Kurt is to do what he has been doing for uh, decades at our church, and that is uh, engage in church multiplication. This place in South Sudan was one that he had on his list, and so we have uh, started the South Sudan Church Multiplication Center in Ye, uh, South Sudan. Uh, our team went over there. You saw the building and, and how much we've gotten done. There's no roof on it yet because we're waiting uh, for us to put a roof on it. Uh, and, uh, and some of that has to do with the funds coming in. But uh, we, uh, we're, we're thankful for the privilege of doing that and thankful for you as a church honoring God uh, by, and Kurt by uh, continuing in uh, sharing the gospel, uh, not just at home, but around the world. Um, if uh, you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Mark chapter 8. Um, when uh, one of my daughters, my oldest daughter, Emily Catherine, was uh, at Liberty University, and uh, Edie and I would go to uh, Liberty to see Emily Catherine, as we made our way, there was a stop that we would always make most of the time, uh, a little more than halfway. But when we got there, we knew that uh, we were closer than we were when we began. We would stop in uh, a place called Crew, Virginia on 460. And there's a little, as you're driving down, the first thing in Crew that you see is a little gas station on the right. And we would stop there and we would fill up with gas and get snacks, and then we'd go the rest of the way. That halfway point, uh, or a little bit more than halfway, was, uh, um, it was a signal for us that, that we're, we're getting there. Um, we are at a halfway point in Mark's gospel. Uh, we have journeyed together through uh, Mark's gospel. We've looked, uh, at, leading up to Easter, we looked at Mark chapters 11 through 16, uh, then we went back to the beginning uh, and we looked at Mark chapters 1 through 8. And uh, now we're picking back up in Mark chapter 8, but uh, we're starting at a new, uh, uh, the second half. Uh, as we go, come to Mark chapter 8, verse 27, our text this morning, uh, things are different. Uh, See, up to this point, there's a Greek term, and I'm just way over my limit on Greek terms, uh, but y'all, so since I'm already over the limit, I'm just going to keep on doing it. There's a Greek term that is used in Mark's gospel, um, I think like uh, 40 times in chapters one through eight. It is the word uthus or utheos, and, and, and two different words, but they're, they come from the same root, and it means immediately. And so you see, and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately they went across the water, and immediately they did, and immediately, immediately, immediately. Now beginning in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, all the way to the end of Mark's gospel, uthus and utheos is used sparingly, not a lot of times, because everything slows down. 
From this point forward, it is really, as some have said, it's an extended passion narrative. And you might say, what's a passion narrative? It's the story of Jesus on his way to the cross. And from Mark chapter 8 all the way to Mark chapter 16, we see Jesus intentionally traveling this path and bringing his disciples with him on the way to the cross. From this point forward, Jesus is focused on Jerusalem and he's focused on helping his followers follow him in the way that God has designed. And he begins this journey by asking one of the key questions that every person has to ask and answer. We must deal with this one question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? To follow Jesus demands that we believe who Jesus is. Now, look at the text, Mark chapter 8. Just looking at a few verses. And by the way, on Wednesday nights, we're at online at 6 o'clock. Uh, Wednesday nights, 6 o'clock online. Uh, we're taking what comes next. So we're doing Mark 8, 27 through 30. And on Wednesday night, we're doing uh, Mark 8, 31 through 33. And then next Sunday, we'll do Mark 8, 34 through 37. And then on Wednesday, you get the picture. We'll do, you see how it goes. So Wednesday nights are very important. And I want to encourage you to uh, join us on Wednesday nights. If you can't make it uh, when it's online, uh, at six o'clock, you can always go there are, you can go to the app or somewhere and you can find where uh, that uh, section is and do that before we come back together on the following Sunday. Uh, so uh, tonight or, or Wednesday night, I encourage you to tune in. If you can't tune in at six o'clock sometime before Sunday, uh, see uh, what God is speaking through Mark 8, uh, 31 through 33. All right. A little plug there. So Mark 8, verse 27. Y'all, are you excited? Yes. I'm excited. All right, Mark 8, 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi and on the road. He asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? And they answered John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, others one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. So as we look at this, key question, who is Jesus? And Jesus is traveling with his disciples and he's wanting them to see who he is. Now they have seen him. They, they've seen him. Uh, uh, speak to someone who is paralyzed and say, your sins are forgiven you, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And, and, and he did. And they've seen Jesus look at um, uh, uh, the, a storm that is raging on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus looks at the storm and he stands up in the boat and he says, peace be still. And the storm stops. They've seen him uh, be confronted with um, uh, demons in, in, that are possessing an individual. And those demons are legion for they are many. And Jesus casts them away and they flee in the name uh, in the presence of Jesus. They've seen Jesus take uh, a blind person and they've seen Jesus uh, take a deaf person and they've seen Jesus give sight and hearing 
to the blind and the deaf. They've seen Jesus tackle the issue of death itself and take a little child who was dead and raise that child to life. Jesus, they've seen Jesus with great authority. But did they really see Jesus? So Jesus wants to clarify what they see. He wants them to understand who he is. We live in a day and time where a lot of people know about Jesus. You go to uh, China, people know about Jesus. The Soviet, former Soviet bloc countries, you go and there are buildings erected in the name of Jesus. There are songs that have been written in the name of Jesus. Some of the greatest novels in Russian history had Jesus running throughout all the theme of those novels. In the philosophies of, uh, the, uh, 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 of, of this millennium, you see Jesus being a prominent feature and figure in so many of the philosophies and ideologies. There are people like Friedrich Nietzsche who wrote an entire discourse trying to disprove Jesus. Now, Jesus is a prominent figure in the history of humanity. But who do people say Jesus is? First question, who do people say Jesus is? If we're going to live a life that is worth living, then we got to understand, know, believe who Jesus is as the Bible describes him. But who do people say Jesus is? People around you, you go across the hall to your uh, co-worker's cubicle and you say, who is Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? You, you go uh, 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 on your ship or uh, as you're deployed and you say, who do you think Jesus is? And you'll get an answer. You go to, uh, to, uh, across the cul-de-sac to your neighbor. Who is Jesus? And they'll give you an answer. You get online, go onto your neighborhood app, uh, neighborhood, uh, what's it called, honey? Next door neighbor, go to your next door neighbor and just, I mean, they'll talk about everything crazy on that thing. So go ahead and just say, who is Jesus? And just watch the answers flood in. You know, heighten some of the conversation on next door neighbor. I promise you that. And you'll get a multitude of answers. Jesus looked at his disciples and, and he asked the question, not because he was taking a poll, although that uh, the disciples gave him a positive rating in the polls. He was asking the question, not because he was taking a poll, but because he was setting it up to ask his disciples, who do you say that I am? So let's begin with what other people say about Jesus. And, and, and again, the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Now, that's positive. All of those are positive statements. Not one of them is negative. You're John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was a popular figure uh, in the time that Jesus uh, came on the scene. If you remember, Mark chapter 1 says when, when uh, uh, after John the Baptist had been uh, arrested, Jesus came to Galilee and he came preaching the good news of the kingdom, saying, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe on the gospel. John the Baptist had amassed a, 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 an immense following. People came from all over Judea to see John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a popular figure. He was put to death by Herod because Herod got upset with him. But he was, he was popular. So when they say you're John the Baptist, you say, well, maybe you're like John the Baptist, continuing the ministry that he began, preaching about the kingdom of God. 
Or maybe you're like Elijah. You might, this is a little bit strange. Elijah, Elijah, uh, do y'all know where in scripture you can find about Elijah? Yeah, Old Testament. That's a big one, Bill. The whole section. First Samuel. First Samuel. You go, you go to First Samuel or, or, or go to Judges and you'll find something about, uh, uh, about Elijah. And, it, and Elijah was a prophet. And, uh, and here's how I remember. Elijah is J and that alphabetically comes before Elisha, which is S-H. And so Elijah was first, Elijah came second. I always have to remind myself because I get confused. But Elijah was a great prophet. And if you remember, here's what happened. Elijah passed his mantle on to his, uh, 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 his uh, student, Elisha. He passed the mantle on and then it says he walked with God and he wasn't. He was carried up by God to heaven. He didn't die. He just went went to God. And so in first century Judaism, uh, there was just this furor about Elijah in the, in, in the pro- prophets of the uh, uh, fifth and sixth century BC. They, they talked about one like Elijah coming and being a forerunner for the kingdom of God who would proclaim the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's judgment and the day of the Lord's restoration, the day that God would set everything right for the people of God, the day that God would judge the unrighteousness of those foreigners that were were coming in and that God would take his people and bring them comfort and provide power for them. And, and Elijah was going to do that. And, and so in first century Judaism, when Jesus is walking around, Elijah was a pretty big deal. And so when they said, some see, say, say that you're Elijah, they were like, that's a big deal. That's positive. And then they say, well, but they also say you're just like one of the prophets. And again, not a bad thing. The prophets, uh, in, in this context, the prophets were, were the people who were spokespersons for God. They would come and they would say, thus says the Lord, and they would speak what God said. So when, when, uh, when Jesus asked them, what do people say? They, well, that's pretty good. You, you might not get such a fair hearing today if you were to ask somebody who Jesus is. I hear this, people, people say, well, I like Jesus, I just don't like followers of Jesus. Well, there may be truth in that, but Jesus likes his imperfect followers too. But uh, anyway, they, they say, well, uh, you ask somebody today, who is Jesus? They might say, well, uh, he's just some mythic character, like, like Santa Claus. He's just some guy that, that people made up stories about. And, and by the way, if you're going to make up a story about a hero, you don't kill him. But you make up stories about this guy and, and, uh, uh, and you might say, well, they killed him, but he came back to life. And yeah, but if you make up stories about a guy that is dead and then comes alive, you're not willing to die for that made up story. All the disciples were willing to die for that made up story if it was made up. Anyway, people say, well, it's a good myth. And, and, and as a myth, you might say, well, I'll follow um, the lessons, the life lessons from the myth. Like uh, we read um, um, uh, King Arthur and you, or, or Mark Twain. You read uh, about Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. You read those mythic characters and you might learn some lessons and you'll write those lessons down. You read uh, Dostoevsky and the Brothers Karasimov and, and, you, and you hear the stories about those made up characters. You say, oh, I will learn some lessons there. But it doesn't change your life. You just some, some little coaching moments. 
So if Jesus is a myth, you're just going to learn some lessons from him. Others might say, well, he's not a myth, but he was a good teacher. He was a, he was a moral uh, uh, teacher. He, he taught great morals and great ethics. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he's a great teacher. And some of your buds might say, well, he's a great teacher. If he's a great teacher, and that's all he is, just merely a great teacher who teaches great ethics, then you can take the ethics that he taught and you say, okay, well, I'll, I'll embrace that. I'm going to turn the other cheek and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to uh, pray for my enemies and, and bless those who, who curse me. I'm going to do those things. I, I, that's okay. I like that. That's good stuff. But as a moral teacher, you can take what he says or you can leave what he says. The only authority in that teaching is the authority of, well, that's pretty good, or maybe not so much. If he's just a moral teacher, then what he taught back when only applies for when he taught, by and large. It's not, it's not a universal truth. It's just a truth for right then and right there. So you take or leave whatever he teaches if he's just a moral teacher. Some might say, well, he's a revolutionary. He's, he, 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 he revolutionized uh, the, the role of women in the first century, and that would be true. And, or, he's a revolutionary. He came to overthrow Rome, but he failed. And, and some have said that. And, and they say, well, he's a revolutionary. He had revolutionary things to say and, and led a revolution. It became Christianity. He's just a leader of a religious movement. And if all he is is a, reli- a leader of a religious movement, if you're not part of that religion, you don't even have to care. You have people who don't even care what Jesus said or did. Or... It's because they're not part of the religious movement. They just see it as a religion. When Jesus said, who do people say that I am? It opens our eyes and ears to hear what our friends and neighbors might say about Jesus. All of the religions that are closely connected to um, uh, the faith of Christ, this Christianity, as we might call it, it, all the religions like Judaism and Islam, you know what they say about Jesus. Dude was a great prophet. But that's it. He doesn't change your life. He just teaches some good stuff. And all of those answers fall short. You see, here's, and and this was made famous by C.S. Lewis, uh, although C.S. Lewis borrowed it from a guy named Watchman Nee um, uh, way back when. But C.S. Lewis posed the problem. You've heard it. it. Jesus is either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord. You see, the claims that Jesus made, he claimed to be God. Uh, The scripture lays claim to Jesus in the beginning was the word, the word being Jesus and the word was God and the word was with God. Everything that was made came came into being because of Jesus, the word and the word who is God became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1 14. Jesus laid claim not merely to being a, a good teacher. Jesus laid claim to being God. He said before Abraham was, I am in John chapter eight. That's laying claim to to being God. You know, when Jesus was put on trial, he was was killed, he was crucified based on three charges. The first charge was that uh, he, he was friendly with sinners. The the second charge 
was that he healed somebody on the Sabbath. The third charge was he claimed to be God. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm a pretty good teacher. He didn't say, I'm John the Baptist, I'm Elijah, I'm one of the prophets. No, Jesus said, I am God. So, Jesus making that claim, if he said he was God, when he knew he wasn't God, he's a liar. That's one option. If he says he's God and he knew he wasn't God, then he was lying to all of us. If he said he was God and he really thought he was God, but he wasn't God, he's a lunatic. He's delusional. But if he said he was God and he really is God, then he must be Lord. Being a good teacher that I can take or leave if I want to is not one of the options. Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. So when we go to our friends and say, who do you say Jesus is? And they give you some milquetoast answer trying to be sensitive to, they know you're a religious person. They think, well, if I say what I really think about Jesus, I'll just say he's a good teacher. You need to say, well, that's baloney. He's either the Lord or he's nothing. All right. So that's what... That's what people say about Jesus. But, but really, if you read this passage, you know that Jesus wasn't really asking what the poll numbers showed about him. He wasn't running for office. He wasn't looking for a political uh, 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 movement. Uh, he wanted to know what the disciples said. And in the language of the, of the Greek sentence, uh, uh, the grammar of it, you know that Jesus was emphasizing you. You. Who do you say that I am? And really, this is the key question that we and every human being needs to answer. Who do I believe Jesus to be? And Peter responds and he says, you're the Christ. Big word. The, the disciples got the confession right, but their idea of what the Christ was, was very wrong. When they said Christ, it wasn't that Jesus was a, a, a good teacher. It wasn't just merely a prophet. Jesus was the revolutionary king that God had sent to overthrow Rome and to reinstate the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel, as it was during David's reign. That the Messiah was just a man, a unique man, an anointed man, but just a man. And no doubt, Jesus was a man. When we, when we begin to plumb the depths of who is Jesus, we have to acknowledge he's a man. And Jesus was born, albeit in a miraculous way, but he was born to a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem those who are under the law, Galatians 4. Jesus was born. Jesus breathed. Jesus felt pain. Jesus felt Hunger. Jesus felt grief. 
In John chapter 11, his friend Lazarus is dead. Scripture says that Jesus wept. He felt pain when he looked over Jerusalem and he saw Jerusalem. It says that he had compassion, a, a gut-wrenching pain uh, that because of the, 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 the passion he felt. He felt. Jesus felt. He hungered. He, 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 he was tested. He was tempted. Jesus was a man, but he was so much more than a man. And Jesus was a man, but he wasn't merely a man. Again, you go back to John chapter 1, verse 1, where uh, John the apostle delivering to us the words that Jesus had delivered to him. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Go to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten, the unique one from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God, became flesh and bone. He's more than just a mere man. Jesus is God. When we look at who Jesus is, we must believe or disbelieve that He is God. He certainly has the authority of God, mentioning what we've already seen in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 2. He he forgives sin. The Pharisees get upset. Who can forgive sins, they ask, but God alone. And Jesus said, okay, you're healed, and I'm God. And Jesus uh, is crossing the boat, uh, crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples. Storm rages. Jesus is sleeping in the bow of the boat or the stern. I don't know, the bow or the stern. I'm not a sailor, but he's one of those places. And Jesus is in the front of the boat. What's that? Jesus is in the bow of the boat. Should have gone with my first instinct. Jesus is in the bow of the boat, and he's asleep. His disciples, y'all remember? His disciples said, Master, do you not even care that we are perishing? Jesus, I, it's an eye roll. He gave an eye roll. I know he did. He stands up. He looks at the storm and the wind and the waves. And he says, stop. And everything stops. Not only does he have authority to forgive sin, he has the authority to command creation. Why? Because he created it. They get to the other side and they come to the land of the Gadarenes and, and, and they get out of the boat and a demon-possessed man comes. The legion immediately recognized this is Jesus the Christ. What have you to do with us, O oh Jesus, Son of God? And Jesus said, be cast out. And with the authority of God, he cast the demons out. We'll see in a couple of weeks that Jesus heals a blind man. Earlier in Mark 5, he heals a deaf mute man. Or Mark 7, he heals a deaf mute man. And both of them point to Isaiah chapter 12 where it says the Messiah would come and he would make the blind to see and he would give hearing to the deaf. But it's something that only God can do. And Jesus has the authority of God himself. Friends, who do you say that Jesus, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is God who became flesh and bone? 
When Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, he had in mind a revolutionary. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not who the Christ is. You look, and, 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 and we'll look at this on Wednesday night, but look at verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the chief priests, the scribes, uh, and, and the elders, that he will be killed, and then he will rise again three days later. And Jesus was painting the picture of what it means to be the Christ, a, a Messiah on mission to change hearts and lives by his sacrifice, by his death. When you look, and, and I, y'all just stick with me for a second because I'm going somewhere with this, all right? So you look at the title Christ. You are the Christ. Christ is the Greek translation of the uh, Hebrew word uh, for Messiah. Messiah means anointed. When you look at the Old Testament, you see who was anointed in the Old Testament. There are three offices that were anointed in the Old Testament. There was the prophet. We've talked about the prophet. The prophet was anointed into that ministry, and the prophet was clothed by the Spirit of God in that moment to speak the words of God, to tell forth the things of God to the people of God so that they might know what to do and how to live. The prophet spoke the words of God. He was the anointed. The second office was priest. Priests were anointed. And priests were anointed uh, so that they might stand in the gap for sinners like you and me. That priests were there in the Old Testament and they would make sacrifice for the sins of the people. And they would plead God, uh, plead the case of the people before a holy God. And they were anointed. And then you had the king. The king was anointed. And the king was the civil ruler to uh, lead the people of God in in a uh, governmental kind of way. Into the ways of God. Fulfilling the purposes of God. Bringing glory to God. That's what the king was supposed to do. And these three offices, the prophet, the priest, and the king, were to join together to accomplish God's purpose and to honor him. To lead the people of God. Not to be a nation state that is overwhelming every other nation state. But rather to be the people of God. Shining the glory of God in the dark world and pointing people to God. So when Jesus says, yes, you're right, I am the Christ, he was taken for himself those three offices, three offices for himself. He is prophet, he is priest, he is king, he is the prophet who stands and delivers the words of God for us to follow. He's not a myth, he's not a moral teacher, he is the prophet who is the Christ. He speaks as God to us. So when he speaks, we can't take it or leave it. This is God's words to us. We say, yes, I'll follow it. When the prophets of the Old Testament began to speak, they would say, thus says the Lord, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, he would stay, he would stand and he would say, verily, verily, I say to you, 
Jesus is the prophet who speaks the words and the way and the will of God to us. And if we follow him, we will walk in that way and we will lead a life that is filled with blessing. He is the prophet. He is the anointed one. He is the prophet. He is the anointed one. He is the priest. The priests in the Old Testament would make uh, intercession for the children of Israel in their sin. On the Day of Atonement, they would offer one big sacrifice for the sins of that year for the people of God. One of the primary functions of a priest was to make sacrifice for sin. There's one whole bloody book in the Old Testament about sacrifice. Jesus is our high priest. 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is only one mediator between God and man. That is the Christ, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one who offers himself up as the sacrifice. Christ suffered once on account of sin, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. This is what his priestly duty demands, that he wouldn't make sacrifice, but rather become sacrifice so that he might drag us sinners into the presence of a holy God. And make us fit for God's family so that we're no longer strangers, but now we're sons and daughters fit for God's family. Not only does the priest, Jesus, mediate between us and God, make sac- become sacrifice so that we might enter into the presence of God, but Jesus also is the mediator to us who are following after him and providing a pathway for us to find the grace and the comfort and the power we need in everyday trauma of life. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Seeing then that we have such a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, let's hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he was tested in every point, even as we are, yet he never sinned. Therefore... Let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find the grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the high priest who comforts us when we follow him. He's the prophet, he's the priest, and oh yes, Jesus is the king. In Isaiah chapter 9, when uh, God told about the Messiah that was to come. He said, uh, he is the Prince of Peace. The whole government of the world will be resting on his shoulder. My goodness, we just talked about this in this great hymn to Christ in Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. It says, um, uh, I'm starting midway. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow, every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, and every knee under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians 1 tells us that all creation was made by him and answers to him and is held together by him. He is Lord. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He's not just some good teacher. We can take what he says or leave it. He is the king, he is the prophet, he is the priest. And if we follow him, if we yield our lives to him, then we will have the 
glorious benefit and blessing of the anointed one, the Christ, speaking into our lives the directions that we need to go every single day. He is our prophet. And we have the Christ who has made sufficient sacrifice for all our sin, who says to us, Today and every day, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we truly are, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we truly are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things become new because of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And when we are facing the trauma of life and the difficulties of our day and we don't know where to turn and things are too big for us in every way, we turn to our high priest and we say, oh, Jesus, help. And because we're following him, he reaches down and he gives us the grace and the mercy that we need. Oh, friends, how can you live without Jesus? Not only is he our priest, not only is our prophet, but he is our king. And this is where the rub comes. As king, you owe him absolute allegiance if you're following him. You see, following Jesus isn't merely going to Santa Claus and asking for your wishes to come true. Following Jesus is submitting all of your life to him. Following Jesus is bending before him, bowing before him, living for him. You want to follow Jesus, you want to have a life worth living, then it's lived in surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God who became flesh. Jesus is the Messiah come to die for sinners like you and me, to drag us into the presence of God. He is the King who has conquered death, hell, and the grave, exalted at the right hand of the throne of God, and is coming again to judge the quick and the dead. This is Jesus. But do you believe? When we believe Jesus, when we believe in him, then we will be able to say with the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ, the anointed one. The prophet, priest, king, the Messiah. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, friends, following Jesus is the greatest delight you can ever know. Because it means that the prophet, priest, and the king, Jesus is living in you and through you for God's glory and for your good. Do you believe? Will you bow your heads with me, please? Oh God, right now I pray for those who are in the room who are not yet followers of Jesus. I pray for those online or in the room who have determined that Jesus is a good take-it-or-leave-it life coach, but nothing more. I pray that your word and the truth 
of your word would pierce to the very depths of every person's heart, that they might see the greatest need in their life is Jesus. Jesus, declared by the Bible, experienced by followers of his, Jesus who has changed my life. I pray that you would change lives this morning. And people would come before you, hearts bent, humbled, saying, oh, Jesus, will you rescue me? It is through the death of Jesus and his resurrection that we find forgiveness for our sin and new life. God, I pray that every person here who is not yet a follower of Jesus, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and they would say yes to Jesus that they would believe in Jesus. Father, I pray for the followers of Jesus in this room. I pray, oh God, that in these moments we might see that following Jesus isn't just going to um, our uh, fairy godmother and asking for uh, a brand new pair of shoes. And we see that following Jesus demands that we believe who he is, that we submit our lives to him, we surrender to him as king, we uh, depend upon him as our priest, and we uh, submit to his word as our prophet. And we live each moment of every day in submission and in the joy and in the pleasure that we would be crucified with Jesus. So it's no longer we who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in us. And the life that we now live in our body, in this flesh, we live by faith in Jesus, who loves us and gave his life for us. Now, now change the way we walk, change the way we talk, change what we do, change how we live, not by following the rules of a moral, moral teacher, but by embracing Jesus Christ, our King. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.